Welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally, and we are your home for F1 racing this side of the pond. On today's pod, did the Spanish Grand Prix deliver? And does the point system need a rethink? And once again, we'll look our own futility in the face as we revisit our predictions. And boy, is it futility. But we'll first start with the big question. Is Mercedes back? Uh... What I, I think it's got to be what is back for Mercedes. Uh, they have a double podium uh, with Lewis finishing second, George finishing third. The only other team outside of Red Bull to have a double podium this year. Uh, but is, is that where Mercedes sees themselves or do they see themselves as a championship uh, caliber team and fighting for wins? Well... Toto in his best Rainier Wolfcastle impression would say, let's chill for this, right? Um, he's been saying this, like, I don't want to hear that right away, right? Um, but I think this is a little consistency showing through, um, getting to showcase on another track. Um, the, you know, Monaco's a hard track to see if you've made improvements. Um, so doing it here is a better showcase for it. I felt like they found some good speed in qualifying and it feels like Lewis had some good speed. I, I feel like a while Max was blowing away everybody and may have been able to find some more speed. I feel like under certain circumstances, had Lewis been able to get out there, it would have been closer. I mean, closer doesn't mean better, but at this point, um, maybe back to last year's quality, which was second on the grid, but far away still. Yeah, I think uh, Rainier looked at the car design and said, these zero side pods, they do nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Uh, Save me, Fallout Boy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't overly impressed in practice because they weren't setting you know lap times of flame and you know even in qualifying uh you know lewis was fifth you know he, he moved up to fourth after gasly's penalty um and george you know qualified 12th that's not you know lighting the world on fire especially for you know a, a set of upgrades that were you know supposed to be a you know life preserver for them in the in choppy waters but as has been the case since last year mercedes doesn't have ultimate qualifying pace but really good race pace because they can kind of lean on their tires more uh once they get them into a nice working window uh they are a really we'll say, uh, you know, consistent on, on how they lean on their tires and over a long, you know, race, ultimately that's to their benefit. They can kind of stretch out, uh, their first stint. They can, you know, have a, a good overcut. They can, um, you know, they can play both ways. They don't just have to rely on an overcut or an undercut. They can utilize both because, uh, you know, they can, push their tires for longer and they can seemingly can get them into the uh, working window faster. It's just not something they've been able to nail down in a qualifying setup. 
Right, and I would say qualifying this week was also a bit different anyway. Um, there was a few outliers, right? Uh, um, particularly the McLarens, and uh, I think they even acknowledged later that it was a bit of a good day for them. Uh, that wasn't the speed they could consistently deliver on race day. And then you have a few people out of position who ended up having good races. Again, like, you know, um, George didn't qualify great, but his pace on race day was much better obviously Perez is in a Red Bull and that Red Bull has been the second best car on average uh you know behind his teammate uh most of the time he was able to make his way up from the you know the back of the pack and you know had he had a little bit more time he might have been able to get to the front this was more a matter of just running out of time because he started so far back i think he might have had a, a car that was competitive enough to podium if not get up there behind his teammates so uh, there's well, a little bit like, of oddity that day right don't yeah. you i mean Steve, as far as like qualifying didn't necessarily tell us like who was going to be fast on race day like we saw in monaco last week but also monaco like the way you qualify is probably pretty much the way you stay you know right uh you know a couple things there obviously mclaren uh looked great on saturday uh then ultimately in the race i think they were uh the second slowest team in in net pace they you know only the williams were slower and, and we'll get to that uh when we get to our predictions um, so disappointing there. I think Zach again made the wrong call on which race to show up to because he had two of his Indy cars finished in the, the top eight in the race in Detroit. So again, whichever track he's showing up to, he's not going to have a good day. Um, I, I think Lando could have ended up in the points if he didn't run into the back of Lewis in lap one. But it, it's you know disappointing to have your race over in the second corner, essentially. But... You know, even Oscar started ninth and then ended up thirteenth, I think. So you know, it was going to be a, a tough day for them. Um, going back talking about Sergio, you know, he started eleventh. George started behind him and finished in front of him. So if if we're comparing Mercedes and Red Bull, yeah, Max Max drove away one by twenty seconds probably could have won by more if he if he wanted to push for it um but this is as close as mercedes has been to red bull all year uh i think uh lewis was only uh you know three tenths of a second off of max's pace and george ultimately finished behind or started behind checo finished in front of him and checo's supposed to be in the faster car so i don't know if that's more of some ammunition against Checo having, you know, obviously had a bad qualifying, should have qualified higher, especially in that car, and didn't make up as many places as he probably should. Um, but I, I also think George George pulled a little sneaky on, on lap one. You know, he, uh, he took to the escape road and, you know, quote-unquote followed all the rules of what you're supposed to do. If you go off the track, they have a you know, kind of a little runway for you to stay on and then rejoin, you know, safely. I think he picked up at least one position off the track, which is kind of a no-no, but ultimately they let it slide. Uh, but that that was a very 
savvy, crafty, Fernando Alonso-like maneuver that I'm sure going into the start of the race knew that that was on the cards. Like, if I get a good start and I, you know, get up there close enough and I'm like, oh, no, someone's going to turn into me, I can just kind of hit to the escape road, cut the corner, and really make up some time and, and positions. Ultimately, he finished third. So, you know, if if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, and, and in fairness to George, he actually made a good move on about three cars legally. Oh, an electric uh, start. Yeah, electric start. And so, uh, you know, it, it's a tad hard to sit there and maybe judge him from the steward's perspective. Uh, maybe that factors in a little bit that, well, he was quick and he avoided a crash and that's what he did there as opposed to now and mind you he, he that's what he did he was being cautious it was smart to be cautious because he didn't have it but he also bailed out and had a bit of an advantage now they investigated it it wasn't like he got away with no one investigating him and the stewards decided that he didn't do anything wrong um so you know he, he able to able to make it work but you know um we're talking about like there was the maybe like the only thing at the end of the race was could uh, Checo chase down George for a podium spot? And, you know, um, that's one of those things where you look at the tires, George put 21 laps on those used uh, softs. Uh, Checo had clean, uh, new uh, softs and got them later and and they were newer, fresher tires. And it seemed like he was catching them, catching them. And then he hit like a point at some point, either in his tires or his ability where he's like, he just stopped catching George. Yeah. His pace kind of plateaued and, and couldn't right. make up any more of the difference. So hard to say, uh, it looks like these softs did well. Like you mentioned, um, the three fastest on the softs, were the Red Bulls and Lewis. And I presume that was, you know, I'm not a, I'm not looking at exact data. I'm just guessing from what I'm looking at some of this information, probably at the end of the race when they're all on softs and they have no fuel and they're running and putting down their fastest laps and well, they're yeah. all in that situation. So, I mean, like that's the fastest laps and that's when they were putting them out there. And I mean, like, check just look at Lewis real quick, but yeah. Checo had that fastest lap, and then you know uh, we, we had you know one of the maxest moments of the year in a, in a yeah. year full of max moments where he's like you know what what's the fastest lap? It's like well you know Checo has a you know thirteen three. Okay, what's my fastest lap? It's like well you have a thirteen six, but you also don't have any more leeway left with track limits. You you're on your last warning. You're going to get a five-second penalty if you do one more track limits. So, okay. And then he puts in a fastest lap. And, you know, you, you could almost hear the eye roll over the radio from Max's engineer. It's like, okay, congratulations. You got the first fastest lap. Can, can you keep it within the white lines now for the rest of the way? He's like, so, yeah, yeah. It goes, ex- explain this to me, Steve, at this point. What does it matter if he went outside the track limits there when he had 28 seconds to give? Right, so I mean, like five second penalty is not going to make a difference to him if he's going to go and set, you know, well, trying to I, get down there and set a, a lap. 
If I'm right. sitting in, you know, the the engineer seat at Red Bull, right? I'm I'm uh, GP, his his race engineer. I'm looking at a race that, yeah, right now everything's fine. Sure, taking five seconds out of twenty four seconds is is fine. But if I look back just a couple of weeks ago to Australia, when you know everybody spread out, we get a safety car. And a restart, and then there's an incident, and then Carlos Sainz has a five-second penalty, and then the race ends under the safety car. All of a sudden, Carlos drops five positions outside the points because of one five-second penalty. So, I don't want you to pick up any penalties right now, no matter what your lead is, because there's still 15 laps left in this race. One safety car bunches up the field, and... If we do restart, yeah, maybe you can pull one or two seconds away before the race is over, and that's going to drop you back two places. God forbid it ends under the safety car, you're going to go from first to fifth, and we've thrown away a race win because you've kind of, you know, want to cheekily pick up, or either it's ego that you want to do it, or worse, it's intentional that you want to take away the point from Checo. So, again, I'll, that that's what I'm thinking in my head as his race engineer. It's like, yeah, we have the margin to play with, but th- there's always the unexpected thing that can happen. And because you fooled around and cost yourself five seconds, you could cost yourself the race for no reason. True. I mean, what if he decides to do it on the last lap, though? Yeah, I mean, if he does on the last lap, that that's one thing. But I think he was in his in his mind because you know Max does have some very strong awareness. You know the way we talk about uh, you know Fernando Alonso managing the race with multiple dimensions, and you know he knows when his tires are going to be at their best, and the risk reward of like pushing on more worn tires and the ability to get the maximum out of them. I think he felt like he's asking about it because he knows this is his best chance to get it. So I, I'm always curious about should we essentially penalize them differently Is a five second penalty on the track enough I know your scenario, it seems like it would if it goes a certain way. But should you make them drive through the pits to serve it? I mean, for for a single... I I mean, so what what you get is you get three warnings. And then on your fourth warning, you get a black and white flag. And then after that, you get a five-second penalty. Um, So, yeah, you get a lot of, you know, chances. But, you know, it's a 66-lap race. You know, with with thirteen turns, you know, so there's a lot of opportunities to go over. I I don't know if because you potentially gained a tenth of a second on every lap that you did it, that a full drive through penalty is necessary. Um, I mean, you saw there there was one penalty actually given out in the race, and it was against Yuki for pushing uh, Zhou Guanyu off the track they didn't make any contact yuki just might not have left him enough space uh uh joe was on the outside of the turn 
kind of got forced a little bit wide, went through the gravel, but no contact. And, and Yuki got a five-second penalty, and that ultimately cost him his points. I thought that was a little harsh. And I think in the scheme of things, that type of penalty is a quote-unquote worse penalty than track limits because they called that you know, more or less uh, a dangerous driving maneuver, whereas track limits isn't something dangerous. It's kind of gaining an advantage. I mean, we we worry about these things for a variety of reasons, but it's also because points are at a premium, right? And advantages are only so much. So, like, do we need to rethink the point system, as we alluded to at the top, Steve? Do, do we need to find a way to reward consistency versus a good day of performance right and also i feel like that petty sniping for fastest lap is kind of interesting there's no scenario in which max will not go for that fastest lap he wouldn't even let his teammate have it i know it's his main competitor but it's like okay he's gonna go for it it's one point you know and other sports give you points for other things too um most laps led sometimes, which is, I think, a little bit moot to me. I, mean, I, don't, Na- I don't know if I like that here. But, NASCAR yeah. will give you a point for just leading a lap. Right. You know, all, all you have to do is just cross the, the finish line first. It doesn't have to be any particular lap. You lead a lap. Under caution. Green flag. doesn't matter. You lead a lap, you get a point. Um, so, point, points and, are, yeah. uh, you know, you know kind of matters, surplus. right? All that matters in a in a series like NASCAR uh, is that allows you to qualify for some sort of sprint at the end of the year where you're in the championship and then you're whittled down until it's whatever. So it's not even while I like that to a certain extent, it keeps you in it keeps you in the hunt till later in the season. It also does not reward consistency; it re- rewards timeliness almost. Right. Um, so, but what NASCAR does that's a little different is it gives points all the way to the end. You can get a point for finishing last. And you may not want to reward points for finishing last, but, um, you know, is points for only half the field worthwhile? We, you know, that top 10 is really an important mark throughout the weekend. It, it's, you know, you're fighting to get into Q3. Uh, and then you're fighting to get into the top 10 in points to say you pointed that day. Um, but why not? He goes, you tell me someone who consistently finishes 11th every race, uh, is not doing a decent job. Uh, but someone who gets ninth, one race and 12th, one race and eighth, one race and 15th, one race they may end up in the same point situation at the end of the season. And that person was all over the place, got lucky with a, uh, you know, a particular track, didn't get caught in some accident. You know what I mean? So I, to me, I feel like it's weird that we just chop points at 10. Um, but I, I'm open to the way we've always done things. So uh, yeah, let, let's, uh, let's slap a little, historical perspective on things so uh for essentially 40 40 some odd years 
only the top six got points. You know, it was very slim. And obviously they didn't get as many points as they got now because you only got nine points for a win versus 25 you get now. But, you know, from, from the 60s up till the, the early 2000s, only six cars got points. Um, but only 12 cars were finishing the race. Uh, reliability was not something that existed with any regularity cars just you know uh didn't handle as well obviously there was kind of a lot of cavalier maverick you know uh engineering when it came to engine manufacturing so engines blew up all the time failures hydraulics there there's a lot of uh technological innovations in its infancy so uh trying things out for the first time just day of and it didn't work out so yeah only six people got points but a lot of the time that was more than half the field who finished so eventually they expanded it from six to eight to the current 10 that we have and the point for fastest lap has only been around since you know 2019 um but in, in this era that we're in now, cars are engineered so uh, you know, robustly. The teams have more resources, at, you know, as far as like the bottom half of the field. You know, like is Williams the slowest car right now it's, they seem like it alpha tower seems to have come out of the basement a little bit and not be so bad but you know we'll take them as the example as as the slowest team the bottom team 10 15 years ago when it's you know caterham or virgin or hrt those uh race teams ran on a shoestring budget they didn't have any spare parts i mean you know you could even say that five years ago about williams but because of the money that's gone into the sport and the way that it's distributed, the bottom half of the field is in a better position when it comes to their you know resource management and research and development. That you know we we look at the last three races, we've had three full races with only two DNFs. That's essentially unheard of throughout the history of formula one where cars can make it the full race distance and it's the whole field doing it um so when you have this level of reliability and as many cars finishing uh you start to look at you know like you know yuki who's you know in an unenviable position of finishing just out of the points in four races this year should he be as far down in the driver standings because he's sitting there at 16th tied with Kevin Magnuson for 17th with only two points. Um, if, you know, Logan Sargent messes around and, and snags in eighth place because of, you know, a, a crazy weather um, affected race, you know, he'll move up ahead of Yuki. Does that mean Logan Sargent has been the better driver this year because he has two more points? No, the, the points don't reflect that. And I think if, if you can kind of just slide the scale down a little bit, you know, from maybe 10th place to 15th place, I think that's a, a little bit more representative on, on where the drivers have been. You reward 
some uh, consistency uh, further down in the midfield. And I, and I know, you know, points are kind of like this this sacred thing of like you know to score points. Uh, you know, people always have like a, uh, a you know, there was a George Russell Twitter account. Did George Russell score points yet? That was running for years until he finally got points with uh, Mercedes. As, as kind of like a joke because you know points are valued so much you you kind of uh, get anointed as like a real formula one driver when you score your points but you know times change we we've added more positions that get points we've changed the amount of points that are given out uh we've added sprint races that give out points now and then we change the amount of points we give out in sprint races so i think one more change isn't necessarily a bad thing yeah, it's, I just think, you know, it's something where we just see certain drivers not consistently get rewarded for what they perform as, right? And it is a bit of an excellent point. I mean, like, uh, looking at the points for the most part that we have a difference of 12 points between Lewis and Fernando. And even here, like, uh, Fernando has finished third, four times second. Um, I think even in the top 10, there's a bit of a disparity sometimes with the points. I mean, lower is fine. We're looking at like Piastri, right? Who is ahead of Yuki, as we mentioned. But um, Yuki has finished 11th, 11th, 10th, 10th, 11th, 15th, 12th. That's pretty consistent. Um, Piastri has finished, uh, he retired in the first race, 15th, 8th, 11th, 19th, 10th. 13th. It's a little all over the place, right? Uh, but has managed to score one more point than Yuki this year and thus is ahead of him. Um, right. And like even Nico. And 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 you know, keep in mind that that the, the points he got in Australia uh, I believe he was behind Carlos Sainz and then Carlos's penalty slid past, you know, both McLaren drivers, so Oscar jumped up to take eighth, which was, you know, a four point day, you know, which, which is ultimately, you know, pretty lucky to be. So, you know, he's, uh, three places above Yuki because Carlos Sainz got a five second penalty. Right. And that goes, Nico might even be a worst case scenario here, right? Let's Mm -hmm. talk about Nico, right? Nico is ahead of both Oscar and Yuki. Uh, he's actually one, two, three, four. He's about four spots ahead of him. He's only finished in the points once this year. It was a lovely 7th in Australia. And he's been 15th, 12th, 17th, 15th, 17th, and 15th otherwise. Uh, You know, he only has one other performance that's better than 15th, and that was in Saudi. And because he has managed to finish 7th versus in in the points once, and it was 7th, he is higher. He is uh, 12th in points. While Yuki's down in 16th, having scored points twice at two separate races and near points and three others. Um, yeah, it's just odd 
Um, and and if, if we were to slide the scale down to like 15th place, Yuki would be it, like Yuki and Nico would essentially swap positions. Like Yuki would be up there, you know, around 11th, 12th place in the standings, and Nico would be down in 15th, 16th. Just one other oddity before we get into how the rest of the folks in the race did. <laughs> Lando is kind of consistent. Uh, when Lando is not in the points, he finishes 17th. He's done it four times this year. Yeah. I just found that unique and funny. Um, uh, but yeah, that's just odd to me and maybe only to me. But the rest of the race, right? We we touched on it some. Um, so yeah, the like, McLarens, I'll stay right there just real quick, Steve. You know, qualified well, but obviously didn't have the pace on race day. I know Lando got uh, into the back of Lewis and that ruined his day. And I know having to go into the pits and fix your wing on the first lap. Uh, but then your team also having... takes like an additional 17 seconds to get the stop done. Uh, right. You know, it's seven behind the eight ball. Uh, you know, maybe he gets points under better circumstances. Um, I feel like maybe they could have gambled a little bit more on race strategy and try to take advantage of um, pit strategy of others. And, just tried to survive and see if they could have climbed up the uh, the rankings a little bit. I don't know if anything would have been good enough to get up into the points, but um, they looked like they just ran the race after that and tried to do as good as they could. They ended up 16th, right? So, eh, not my favorite. Right. Uh, you know, the uh, Barcelona track is, you know, or, or has been for many years the track where they do the preseason testing and you know the the reason is it's it's the one track that gives you kind of like the the entire gamut of like different corners there's slow speed corners there's long sweeping corners there's medium and high speed corners there's a long front stretch so it's got every condition to kind of test your car under so if your car isn't great here it doesn't necessarily you know bode well for you which you know which is going to be a positive for mercedes because if if they nail uh barcelona like they did their car should perform on you know other tracks because it it's a it's a track that your car needs to be very balanced and clearly uh mclaren williams haas don't have quite the balanced car uh as they've all finished in the bottom half of the field uh, Alfa Romeo had a standout performance from Guan Yu Zhou. Uh, really drove the wheels off his car, and you know, on the other side of his garage, I I don't know what the plan was with Valtteri Bottas, but the the team decided we're gonna go with an alternate, alternate, alternate strategy. Uh, they started him on soft tires, but he only ran it for. Four five laps and then they did two separate hard tire stints which had to be the slowest strategy you could possibly run uh everyone else ran soft tires to you know 17 18 laps to start off the race switch compounds you know the fastest runner switched back to softs or if not they ran like a longer medium stint um but I don't know. They they kind of hung him out to dry, and you know, gave a gave a pretty strong strategy call to Zhou Guanyu, and you know, 
uh, he made it work. Um, so what, let's uh, let's talk about Ferrari because Carlos Sainz looked pretty strong in qualifying. Ultimately, they had another race pace issue, but Charles Leclerc starting in the pit lane because ultimately he only made it 19th based on his time he said there was a problem with the car they took it apart and you know made changes so they had to start from the pit lane because they made changes he only made it back up to 11th and i've got some big questions with their strategy because he was the only person to start on hard tires look up and down the field Seven uh, or 16 out of the 20 drivers started on softs. He had new soft tires because he did not make it into Q2 or Q3, so he didn't use them up in qualifying. If you're going to start somebody on the hard tires, you got to let them run long at the beginning and take advantage of it. They pulled him in after 16 laps. Lewis and George ran 24 and 25 laps to start the race on soft tires. If you're not going to let them run to, to at least the end of some people's soft stints, uh, you're, you're getting all the negative effects from starting off on the slower tire and none of the benefits from running long. And then you bring him in, put him on softs, and he runs a long soft stint, makes some progress up the field, likes the way the car's feeling, time to box again. He wants to go to softs. They say, no, we're going to box for hards. Says that's not what I want to do, I feel good on the softs. Let's go back to softs, finish the race on softs. They say, okay, box. And then on the way in, it's like, oh, we're boxing for hards. I mean, you got to give your driver a chance to, like, tell you how he's feeling about the car and how he's driving on the track. And, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Because, I, you know, certainly the strategy they put him on is counterintuitive. Very, and you look at the, I, I don't know if it was, you know, fear of missing out or not. It did seem like he was making his way up through on those, but it, I believe I'm looking at the tires, and it is the shortest stint on hards of anyone, and he did it at a point where it makes absolutely no sense, which is the beginning of the race. How was your strategy? Um, I mean, you look at Pierre... Fernando, uh, Russell, Hamilton, all on softs ran longer. Some of them on used softs ran longer than Leclerc, uh, Charles Leclerc did on New Hearts. I, uh, dumb strategy to me. And then he proceeds to go on new softs for 25. Um, and so I, I don't know why. That seems like maybe that's lack of qualifying and not knowing what your car wants. But you have some data from Carlos and I I feel like this is where I think tires are weird here, Steve. This season we've been talking about this. You would think it would make sense to go on the hards and let the car come to you and ride those out as long as you can to try to change your pace. When everyone comes in for pits, you start climbing up, you're on a different pit strategy. But it seems like it doesn't matter what tire you're on anymore. Um, 
Well, you see I, guys stretching softs. You see guys stretching mediums. You, you see guys, you know, running uh, hards, you know, and making up time. It's, it just seems like the tire strategy is a little hard to guess. Well, you know, uh, Mercedes wasn't the only team to bring, you know, new side pods, essentially, because Ferrari had upgrades also. They had changed a little bit of their side pod uh, structure and, and uh, you know, want, went in a little bit more of a Red Bull direction. So they had a little bit of unknowns they were working with also. Um, but it, it didn't seem to work as well with the concept of the car. They always had an issue with tire wear dating back from last year. And they felt like maybe the upgrades would help. But it, it, it seemed to give them some mixed information on it. Um, that, the fact that a lot of the information teams got over the weekend in practice. The track was hotter. It was a cooler day on Sunday during the race day. Um, but the degradation was still higher than other parts in the year, mostly because of the, the new track layout, um, getting rid of the slower chicane and having two high-speed corners to end the lap on, uh, put a little bit more uh, you know, wear and tear on the tires. So higher tire degradation than other tracks during the year, but lower than expected based on the running during the weekend. And I think that combined with the fact that they had made updates to the car really caught Ferrari out. Um, but even so you could use that to explain why, you know, Carlos qualified so high and ultimately slipped down to, to finish uh, fifth. It doesn't explain the poor strategy calls for Charles. Like if you're going to start on hards, you got to do a longer overcut. Um, because essentially pulled him in early and you know comes back out in traffic and he's got to fight his way through just uh you know unfortunate and you know I, there's only so much more frustration i think that leclerc is going to continuously put up with before it's too much um but let, let's talk about you know the the race in general you know we, we've had pl- plenty of races this year where it's you know, uh, more or less processional. We know what's going to happen. Max and Checo are going to take off. They're going to finish one-two. Everyone's going to start the race on medium tires. They're going to stop after twenty laps, and then we're going to do the rest of the race on hard tires. Or you know, someone's going to do something crazy like fifty-five laps on mediums. Um, but there's not two stops. You know, there's just that one stop, and it's medium to hard or hard medium. Nobody uses a soft tire in the race at all. But, you know, this weekend we had that increase, tire degradation. Teams planned out uh, the necessity for a two-stop strategy. We we talked about it previously. Should we forcefully put in a two-stop strategy to make the teams use all three? tire compounds or is that too manipulative are we trying to create drama where there's not there but this race necessitated it just because of the nature of the track um and while max still won by 25 seconds i think we had our most interesting race of the year i think they're you know watching the strategy 
there was everyone did at least two stops uh lando unfortunately had to do a, a an extra stop but uh from essentially lap five to lap 50 somebody was stopping like every other lap so there was plenty to keep it you know keep abreast of as far as where everyone was what strategy are they running somebody went you know soft mediums and soft softs and soft hard and you know uh medium hard everyone had different strategies some people had to overcut undercut and i think if, if we're going to be subject to max domination and we know that going into every race there's not going to be a fight for the lead what's like the next best thing and that's having everything else up to grabs up for grabs um and i think this race gave us that you know did we expect stroll and alonso to finish sixth and seventh and mercedes second and third no you know uh so i on my end i think it's been the most intriguing race of the year if we get more races like this you know if this is like the baseline because again we didn't have any jeopardy it was a completely clean race there was no dnfs no safety cars there wasn't even yellow flags at any part of the race and just that one penalty given out to yuki so no jeopardy that that you know needed to switch up the grid no rain and I think we still had a pretty intriguing race. Yeah, I mean, I like the I like the loss of the chicane at the end there, allowing for more speed at the end of a lap. Uh, it seems like there are more takeovers here. You delete Max from the equation, and it maybe is a more interesting race for everyone. So, you know, just one car being an outlier is uh, good for the rest of the field. Um, I like that some guys were able to move up from places on the grid that they weren't expected to be, but it wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't like you can go from, like, last to first in super quick time. It took most of the race to get up into a good place, and then you're you're trying to finish it off and have a, a good end. Um, it, it felt like... A combination of everything a good start put you up to succeed uh tire strategy mattered um you know overtaking's ability mattered uh so i i think it was one of the more complete races as well you know uh especially since this me. this is a track that doesn't deliver normally because you know, it's kind of processional. The teams have a lot of data because they do testing here. You tend to know what you're going to get. Um, so, you know, that being said, you, you know, you, you look at races like at Spa or Silverstone. It's like, oh, we expect this to be good. Expectations are always tempered in Spain. So I think in light of that, it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I got more than I bargained for. Yeah, I think this was definitely a surprisingly good race. Um, and that's nice. It's nice to see a track deliver a surprisingly good race uh, without randomness coming into play, like, you know, rain or something like that. This uh, slight tweaks to the track configuration and maybe some changes on cars and whatever. And this became a much interesting race. Yeah, and we had, you know, uh, fights up and down, 
you know, even if they weren't for points paying positions, you know, plenty of, uh, you know, what, what they call argy bargy, uh, you know, over, over here in America, we call it Rubbin's racing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Nico had a couple of great overtakes, you know, uh, there, there was a, it, it was, I think Nico, uh, Yuki and, and Joe had just a couple of laps of back and forths. Um, unfortunately, like as T as good as the TV direction was, last week in Monaco because F uh, F one took over the TV direction and it was great. You really got a sense of the speed of the cars and didn't really miss any action. Uh, there, there was back to back overtakes by the Mercedes that just completely missed. Uh, I think we were following someone making a pit stop and then just watching the leaderboard on the side and you see like, Oh, Hamilton moved up and George moved up and like, just didn't see it. Um, we got a replay of it and, George wanted to make sure we all knew how nice it was, and <laughs> he 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 was unimpressed on how unimpressed his team was at his taking over ability. Yeah, a little cheeky from George. The uh, I just didn't like seeing nice overtakes or passes by drivers trying to move their way up into the field in important point situations shown on replay. I mean. I know it's great. You can see it a thousand times in all of its glory, slow and rework it and analyze it in a replay. But it's nice to catch it live, especially when we have the option to. And it seems like direction this past Sunday was left wanting. Yeah, give me a little um, picture in picture. You know, you, if, if you want right. to highlight somebody in the pitch, uh, in the pits, put it in the small box, you know, and then show me the, the action in the big screen. Correct. Uh, there's better ways to do that. Um, I mean, I come from a broadcast background, so I can tell you there are better ways to do that. I don't want to cr- criticize anyone in particular, but uh, it is a little tough watching some of these things for me, knowing what I know. And that was a frustrating race to watch. Um, but it was frustrating for other reasons too, Steve. Uh, so, Skullkeeper, how did we do this week on predictions? One of us gets a couple gold stars. The other one's going to have to clap the erasers. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll start off in the loser's bracket. And I, I just have some just amazing call-outs. Uh, <laughs> I, it's not, not so bad. But the, my first one was I thought, you know, the Williams were going to be especially fast with, you know, the, the track being a faster track with the new configuration and Williams being fast in a straight line. So I had both Williams drivers make it into Q2. And uh, that didn't happen because they were 18th and 20th. Um, so that wasn't great. And, you know, once we saw the underside of the Williams car, I think we kind of understood why maybe they're not quite as pacey as the other cars because they you know essentially have an ironing board underneath the car completely flat seemingly no development of the important aerodynamic you know venturi tunnels under the car that you need for high downforce and you know we, we got to see underneath the red bull and the ferrari last week at monaco because checo and lewis put it into the wall and when it gets craned up and you see super intricate uh, super intricate um, carbon fiber and t- 
tunnels and you know funneling the air underneath the car and then the Williams is just completely flat devoid of any uh, detail so um, I'll take that knowledge and move forward <laughs> to know <laughs> that I may not lean on them for future predictions uh, so my second prediction was we'd get some complete dominance and we'd only end up with five drivers on the lead lap. And that's something that's happened, you know, maybe not five, but it's happened quite a bit in Spain where more than half the field would get lapped with Max as dominant as he is. And, you know, the lack of safety cars we've been having, I thought that was pretty good. Ultimately, uh, we finished with 12 cars on the lead lap. So I kind of a strong ish showing from the midfield, but I think it was more, you know, Max with his big lead, the fact that he had some track limit warnings, I think for the last, you know, 30 laps of the race, he was just kind of one hand on the wheel, checking some texts, you know, what wondering what he's going to have for dinner cruising around. I think if he really needed to push, I, I think more people would have got lapped. But uh, I said five. We finished with 12. So I was wrong. And my third prediction was that we'd have a Spaniard on the podium. Uh, we had one of them starting in a podium position. And he fell back. And didn't get a chance to sniff it. So Carlos finished fifth. Fernando finished seventh. Behind Lance Stroll, who we didn't even talk about. Who actually had a fairly good race. But I'm fairly certain that <laughs> that was some kind of team orders to let uh, daddy's son finish higher than Fernando for at least one race um, so yeah that is me 0 for 3 so for me I said that we would have a Spaniard win I was wrong <laughs> um well, I, 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 I think you did um, put your foot down on Fernando being the Spaniard. You you left yes, it unambiguous. I, you said Fernando I, Alonso. So, yes. And I said I should have had both, right? So, I picked a Spaniard to win, and that Spaniard was Fernando. Um, and it was a very fine needle I was trying to thread that he would <laughs> win, but somehow Aston Martin would also fall behind Mercedes in the points. Um, so that meant that, uh, as we just heard, Fernando did not perform up to his normal standards even and fell behind Lance Stroll. So I had no chance at hell on that. And he also qualified a bit weird. Um, as I alluded to, I believed Mercedes would clearly take over second in the constructors championship, uh, this week. And they did. And they did so by putting, um, two Mercedes on the podium and i believe my (laughs) fairly easy and my last prediction remind me steve that lewis would be on the podium lewis would be on the podium and i felt like we had this debate where second or third you know it would be very very hard if fernando won didn't matter fernando made this easy easier for me picked up the point right but um, Lewis finished on the podium. He finished second. And that got me two points this week. Uh, even though, theoretically, my big swing was Fernando. Um, the other ones worked out well because Mercedes just had a good day. 
So I will take the two points, and then I... Um, Unlike the ACTs, you're not penalized for guessing wrong. Right. In this instance, also, I think what I'm going to do for the rest of the year, just to see, because I like, I like uh, to see if I can maintain this, I think two of my three guesses every week will be Max will win, Logan will finish last, and then I'll just pick a random one week to week. <laughs> I guess I'll just do max on pole. Um, so with your two points, my no points, uh, you know, you, you missed out on Fernando winning, but Fernando did come out after the race and say, we have upgrade coming upgrades coming. And that, uh, next time out in Canada, we are going to dominate. So stay tuned for that. But with your two points, uh, you now overtake the lead by one point, uh, after six races. Very solid. I do my best. The The thing here is, I think we talked about looking at our own futility. Our own futility pretty much revolves around trying to pick something outside of Max Verstappen, who is the unstoppable force. Uh, again, hats off to Max uh, with his killer times this year. If you go back, not just this race, but just how f- much he wins by so far this season, it's getting ridiculous i need someone to stop it yeah this this weekend was nearly a perfect weekend and i i say nearly because it was fp1 fastest time fp2 fastest time q1 q2 q3 so obviously pole position uh led every lap won the race with the fastest lap the only thing he missed was the fastest time in free practice three. So nearly an absolute perfect weekend. Um, still qualifies for a grand slam, which is pole, lead every lap, win the race, and fastest lap. But uh, fair to say his most dominant race of the year? I mean, between... And, yeah, probably had was driving by himself probably had more in him if he wanted to yeah had, you, had you know, pace you, in the you, bag yeah you'd hate to see it if he had to keep someone out of his rearview mirror you know what i mean he, he goes i don't think that car's been pushed this season except by maybe the other red bull right. um so it it's very interesting to see a team so dominant and also probably maybe uh, 90% of what they do week to week so depressing actually it's not interesting it's just it's just depressing because well, I, I, I even if it was well no if it was the team i was rooting for i would say it's boring but i would be happy because it's my team but uh any other team this isn't an anti-max thing i just think it's it's a little crappy this to not have a little bit of tightness every couple of races i mean it doesn't have to be all season but Every now and again, it'd be nice if a team can throw something at Red Bull and try to win a race. Um, but I, I don't know if we're going to see that this year. Well, uh, we can only hope that as teams continue to bring upgrades and the you know shifting of wind tunnel resources start happening and maybe some of the effects of Red Bull's tiny, minuscule penalty may take into effect and the gap close to the top team 
Um, next time out, we're in Canada, where Max won last year, but he only won by a second over Carlos Sainz. I mean, there was a uh, a late safety car, and we had 16 laps, I think, to finish the race, so it was kind of like a 16-lap sprint. Um, but Max able to win only by a second, so... You know, there, there's a chance it could be a closer race. Super technical track. I, I don't expect anybody else but Max to win. But uh, it's typically a strong track for Lewis. And if he's got a car that's competitive, I mean, uh, I'm not going to not watch. <laughs> <laughs> I just might have to temper my expectations. Fair and, enough. Uh, I think... Maybe, yeah. maybe Lewis has a, a little bit of uh, you know extra support. You know, I, I think I, as as we lose some Swifties, some hips don't lie come in, because um, uh, you know Shakira's been hanging around past couple races and been hanging around kind of close to Lewis. So I don't know if it's uh, you know a little bit extra of Columbia support on his side, but who knows. Yeah, and I'm like, what the hell happened to Jimmy Butler? She's been making her rounds uh, the past few weeks. But uh, God bless her. She Shakira. She can do whatever she wants. And there's no better time to end the podcast than praise of Shakira. So for the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast, I am Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And we will catch you next time across the line. <laughs>